The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 39 brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, let's go. Dallas week. Last preview. This Friday is my Friday. How you doing, brother? Back in black, Michael. We're back in black. Yeah. Every day's a good are. day to be alive, especially back in black days. I will not give my other opinions on jerseys because nobody likes them. I was talking with RJ Ochoa for yeah. on the QB Sco show. Episode one brought him in to talk about QB the Sco. Dallas Cowboys. He was he sounded legit afraid of the black unis. Like he was like, This is symbolic of a Cowboys funeral. And he works for blocking the boys. Like, this is coming from Cowboys writers. <laughs> right, right. I mean the Eagles are four and one in their last five games. Uh, they were 4-0, and I believe, the last time they wore them, and then I think they lost last season in them. I can't remember if that's exactly what happened. Very excited. I was thinking to myself, like, wow, Eagles' first primetime game, like, right after the bye, big divisional game, they're probably going to go black, and I didn't tweet it, which you should always tweet, Michael. And then, always. like, a couple of days later, they were like, yeah, we're going to do back and black, and I was like, yeah, that's a good thought. <laughs> but no, I think it's I think it's very exciting, especially because it's going to be at the link. It's gonna be, you know, uh, you said you want to talk about this. We'll bring this up. This game is huge because the playoff implications – obviously are massive so it is the most important game of the week not just for us eagles fans but for the league when it comes to playoff implications most important game of the week the cowboys what they're up against is if they win they can push themselves to a 24 percent playoff chance if they lose it drops all the way to five percent for the eagles a win 
per football outsiders would push them to 43% playoff chance. That's big for them. A loss would put them down at 18%. So this is based on the football outsiders algorithm, how they, they, they process, you know, they talk about injuries and, and, you know, your upcoming schedule and all that stuff. So all of that is factored in. This is not just historically based on other teams that have gone with a certain record. This is tailored towards this season. So this is a hugely, hugely important game. I would call it a must win. Right. And, and what's really interesting here is we've kind of been saying throughout this whole up and down first half of the season for Philadelphia, listen, they're, they're still the best team in the NFC East and we mm-hmm. should still expect them to win the NFC East. Well, you're at a point now where uh, they are just a pure game behind the Redskins. The Redskins have Tampa Bay, which is a Kate, weird one. Yeah. For, for bleeding green picks, I still picked the Redskins, because I don't know the extent to which I believe in the Buccaneers. But if the Buccaneers are starting Fitzpatrick, then Philadelphia fans will know uh, as well as anybody that, yeah, they have a uh, a pretty solid chance of, of running up a lot of points and potentially winning that game. So you have a potential for the Redskins to drop down to 5-4. and four. Uh, The Redskins would still be, I believe, undefeated against the NFC East, if memory serves. Uh, and Philadelphia would then also be undefeated against the NFC East at 2-0, and which actually, fun fact, Carson Wentz has won his last 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 games against NFC East opponents. The last game Carson Wentz lost was week 14 of 2016 to the Washington Redskins, 22-27, wow. which I don't know if you remember that game. They had a chance to win that game at the end, and they weren't able to pull it off, but Carson has won his last seven games against NFC East opponents. Uh, and I do not believe... Nope, he lost to Dallas to start his his first year. And then he's... Uh, so he's 2-1 and one against Dallas in his career. But Carson shows out generally in NFC East games. And, and, and Doug Peterson and Carson's team really plays well in those circumstances. So uh, we like to keep that streak going. I'd really love for Carson to just like have an insane career average against the NFC East. That would make me so happy. That is good information. I'm feeling good about this, Ben. Feeling real good about this. And what we're going to do today is we're going to preview the Eagles offense against the Dallas Cowboys defense. Before we get into that, and I know that BGN Radio episode 20, it is out. The preview show for Cowboys Eagles with John Stolas and Brandon Lee Gowton. Go listen to that if you haven't. But they touched a lot on, on some of the things in the injury report. One thing that I wanted to specifically talk with you about because it pertains to the overarching theme of the show is that with these injuries, with Mills being out, there is a good chance that Ronald Darby could be starting in the usual Mills spot on the other side of the defense with Rasul Douglas playing on the right side. That's the configuration that the Eagles used when Mills left the Jaguars game early. Now, this would put him in a spot where instead of Darby covering uh, Michael Gallup, he would be covering Amari Cooper more often. And I'm interested to see, because I know the Cowboys are going to want to get Amari Cooper isolated on some things if maybe they treat him kind of like they treated Odell Beckham Jr. using more cone brackets maybe using a little more too high even though Dak is not good against one high I have an article on Dak Prescott on bleedinggreennation.com right now detailing that go check that out Uh, but Ben your thoughts on, on the configuration of the of the secondary before we move on to the Eagles offense and considering that maybe at nickel corner we might be starting newcomer Cravon LeBlanc which is great news because people really like it when I say Matt Lafleur's name, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's great LeBlanc. For the yeah, I'm pretty sure 
if if my cultures are good, I'm pretty sure LeBlanc is a uh, is also the same general region. So I'm gonna say that I'm gonna say that name aggressively. Uh, so I know that they're still holding out hope that potentially Cindy can go on 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 Sunday. I think Mills has been scratched, but I think Peterson was saying in the press conference. Uh, as we're recording on Friday, that they're still going to see if Sydney has a shot to play, which would be great. If not, perhaps it's Avante Maddox down, and then if Corey Graham can go, then right. he's the deep safety and Maddox is in the slot, which... They're asking a lot of Maddox, man. We're going to put you at safety. You're a rookie. You're a fourth-round right. rookie. We're going to train you at nickel. We're going to move you to safety. We're going to rewire you, and then we're going to move you back to nickel when uh, a player that is worse than you comes back. To me, the biggest... <laughs> storyline like the biggest like positive storyline on defense this season has been and I feel so weird about it because the second they put Maddox back there I was like this is gonna be so bad and then he survived for a game and I was like well he wasn't really good but I figured teams will start targeting him and then it was like the Tennessee game and I was like oh he played really poorly and then I got into the all 22 I was like none of this was his fault this was all like it was all he he was going he was supposed to uh next week and next week I said oh man the Giants are probably gonna like really target him down the field. Nobody. really well. <laughs> yeah, so so I keep kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop with this rookie corner playing <laughs> free safety, and it's just not, which is shocking um, and, and fun, and I don't really know. Uh, so, yeah, maybe you leave Maddox there, maybe move him back. I don't know what to do in this situation anymore. Just trust your positional coaches, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I do think it is interesting. Uh, Rasul Douglas on the right and Ronald Darby now playing on the left, and I'll tell you why I find that interesting. We've been calling for Rasul to potentially take some snaps from Mills when Mills is healthy because we want to see what Rasul looks like and Mills has been struggling. Well, if it turns out that Douglas is much stronger on the right side for whatever reason than he is on the left, like if they're deliberately making this move because they prefer Douglas on the right side, it could explain a little bit why they were more mm, cautious hesitant. of putting Douglas in. Yeah, but more hesitant, good way of saying it. Uh, putting Douglas in instead of putting... Uh, putting Douglas in over Mills because apparently that would have potentially indicated having to shift Darby to the other side as well. So net negative, you know, right yeah, off exactly. the bat having to switch Darby. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, you know, we know Schwartz is big on not shifting people's positions if he doesn't have to, which obviously we just right. talked about Maddox, but they were kind of in a, in a tough spot there. So there's a potential for that. I suppose like that was something that made me think of other than that. Like I don't necessarily think, yeah, I mean, is is it to match up with Cooper? I mean, we've seen Cooper in the Dallas offense in one game. Are we positive he's going to line up to that side enough that we want to put Ronald Darby over there? Like, I don't That's a good really point. Know. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I would love for, like, Schwartz to be pressed more as to the reasons as to why that could potentially be uh, if it does indeed happen because there's, there's, there's a few different reasons why. We'll see. I'm very excited. Uh, as I've been saying for a while now with Rasul, it's fun seeing him get into games when there's like an injury or whatever. Uh, but I'm really excited to see him when he knows he's been starting for a week and he can yeah. do some opponent film prep and he can kind of know where he's going to be and they can call a, a, a hopefully a few more either cover two coverages or cover three cloud coverages where he gets to stay low and he gets to trap because that's where he was very effective as a West Virginia corner and then hopefully they let him play up on the line and they don't put him eight yards back because that just screams disaster to me. Uh, but if they're prepared for Rasul to be out there as a starter and Rasul's prepared, we kind of really we get a better opportunity to see what he's about. Uh, and this is something good. Philadelphia needs to get a second-year eval Rasul Douglas's play badly because corner is going to be a need come offseason time. Uh, and Rasul's play is going to determine how much. 
Yeah, one final note on that. The Philadelphia Eagles, according to Pro Football Focus, has not shadowed a wide receiver this year. It's just not really in their game plan. Even with Odell, we talked about that. It was more cone brackets. It didn't matter what the corner that he was on. It was the fact that he was also receiving inside help, deep help from a safety that was designated for Odell Beckham. So we'll see if they deploy that against Amari Cooper. We'll see how they deploy Rasul Douglas with Ronald Darby. You want another insane uh, stat that I, I found Graham Barfield was tweeting this out. Graham Barfield's with uh, NFL Network. This is, I think it's more supposed to be like a fantasy thing because he's a big fantasy guy, but it, it, it was interesting for Philadelphia. I love Graham. Go ahead. He divided up where a defense gives up their passing yards by mm-hmm. uh, a player who came out of the backfield, a player who came out of the slot, a, a wide receiver who was in a reduced split, so tight to the formation, and then a wide receiver Ooh. who was actually out wide, right? It's pretty cool. A decent amount of the yardage Philadelphia gives up comes out of the backfield, 18.5% of their passing yardage, which is up there. Uh, but out of the slot, super low, 22.8. Uh, when receivers are lined up tight, the widest receiver in reduced splits, 4.1%, lowest figure in that entire column, right? So when it's reduced splits for Philadelphia and they can condense that formation, and so they're not leaving their corners out on islands, they're not giving up anything. Like, They give up 54.6% of their passing yardage to receivers lined up outside. That 54.6 is the biggest percentage number for any team on this chart for any, any alignment. They're giving up the, the, the one alignment that gives up the most passing yardage is the Philadelphia Eagles defense when receivers are lined up out wide. And so there's going to be like, you know, why is the Eagles, you know, uh, tight number so low? It's probably because nobody lines up tight against them because they know this. But because of the way that defense is constructed, where Schwartz is so oriented on keeping defenders in the box, Philadelphia gives up a league-leading amount of 157.1 yards per game to receivers on the outside. And this is not new. If you go and look at the Football Outsiders Almanac and you look at the breakdown that they have for where the Eagles give up their efficiency, where they leak efficiency, it's in the passing game and it's out wide. It was the same thing last year. I could I could tell you, I remember, I, I clearly remember the Eagles being ranked 30th or worst in DVOA for the outside and then being a top 10 team from the, uh, from the slot in the nickel position. So it's definitely not new. And as we as we look at this game, when we start to transition to to the Dallas defense, where they give up receptions, Ben, something that stands out to me is that Dallas isn't necessarily bad against uh, against wide receivers because you know you've got Byron Jones out there playing some really doggone good football, but they are 27th versus other receiving options. So you're looking at outside of those main wide receivers, they're 26 in DVOA against running backs. They are 25th against tight ends. Now, what that running back, and, and we can salivate over that tight end thing here in a second as we talk about linebackers, which is the next subject I want to hit on. But with those running backs, I think a big reason for that, and I don't know if you saw this too, was because in the screen game, the play action screen game, so you're faking to the running back, and then you're throwing that screen to them after you give you know some sort of play action type look. These Dallas Cowboys linebackers, like to hit that that zone read step as soon as they see its play action they are bolting and on the sports info solutions uh, podcast off the charts they recently had on football outsiders writer Mike Tanier and he said that he equated it to like the, their play action and their reaction to screens is like when you fake throwing a ball to a dog and you put it behind your back 
And that's kind of how the Dallas Cowboys are reacting to it. And because right. of that, they're getting just gashed by screens. So that's something I think you could see early on the Eagles test that and try to get their running backs involved in that screen game. Would have been nice if Darren Sproles was active and it sucked when we recorded and we were like, Darren Sproles is back. And then, yes, like, this is great. The news dropped as I was uploading the episode that Darren Sproles was not going to be in there. I was like, well, I might as well just drop it now since it's late anyway. But uh, Darren Sproles would have been big in that respect. I still do expect them to test the, the Cowboys that way. I, uh, my my read on their screen game, which I agree with you with the linebackers, absolutely. Linebackers are always in a tough spot against the screen game. I don't think their safeties are good. I don't think. Oh, they're not. I didn't think. Jeff I thought Heath? Jeff Heath was a little bit unathletic and confused in like 2016. And I'm here to tell you nothing has changed over the past three years. <laughs> Heath very often plays a, a, uh, a Cam Chancellor role. Uh, so, the, so the Dallas Cowboys love to just run man coverage and have Jeff Heath rob either from the box if they need the numbers or they'll line in too high and then just bring him down. I mean, I don't know who they think they're fooling. They align in too high all the time and rarely play cover two man. It just doesn't yeah. happen. So they'll bring Heath down into the box. thing about Heath is I don't think he keys very quickly. I don't think he recognizes very fast. And the closer you are to the line of scrimmage, the faster you really have to recognize what's happening. And I think Heath is lost in the sauce on a ton of plays. And there was, yeah. there was who was it? It wasn't Jacksonville. What both them did I watch? Hang on. Washington was right before that. Tennessee. Tennessee. And I, I thought Tennessee did a fantastic job of putting Heath in tricky situations where they're running little bubble screens, where they're running yeah. little smoke ideas, and basically making Heath play sideline to sideline. And he can't. They, they did a great job against the Cowboys in general at misdirection, which really mm -hmm. gave this defense fits. You know who coordinates that offense, Mike? Matt Lifter. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So, no, I agree with you in the screen game. And then when it comes to, uh, like you said, we'll salivate over that, that tight end matchup. Well, let us begin. As a, if, if Jeff Heath's the guy against the tight end, I think it's an advantage. And then I know that Dallas fans are, are very excited about Leighton Van Der Esch, their rookie first-round linebacker, 19th overall pick out of Boise. And he's playing well. He absolutely is, and he's continued to develop from his time with the Broncos for sure. His zone awareness is kind of what you expect of a rookie. You know, he's a guy that you can, if you, if a smart quarterback, and I think Carson Wentz uh, qualifies here, just holds him with it, their eyes. He's not really going to have great feel for what's happening behind him, which is okay. He's not been starting for very long. It's totally fine. It's just you can pick on the rookie in coverage, in my opinion. So, yes, uh, this would be, in my opinion, a feed the tight end game. You're going to get a lot of man coverage, and Alshon, I think, will win a few against Byron Jones. I do think your slot guys, either Aguilar or Tate, will be successful against Anthony Brown as well. But tight end feels like the strongest matchup, as it typically does for Philadelphia. Yeah, and let, let's talk about that because I think it's 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 two stories with Leighton Vanderesh as far as his coverage goes, and and for once, Sean Lee being out won't have enough of an impact to be an excuse, and it was never much of a good one anyway. Uh, as Leighton Vanderesh has stepped up as a rookie and in coverage in some respects, and I'm going to quote from Pro Football Focus here, and we can talk about this. Quote, among the 48 NFL linebackers with 300-plus defensive snaps in weeks one through nine of their respective rookie campaigns, Vander Esch ranks third in coverage grade at 82.7. He also ranks fifth in first downs allowed per target and 11th in yards allowed per target among that same group of rookie linebackers. And then they continue, that doesn't mean Vander Esch has been a slouch against the run, however. He ranks 7th and 12th in run stop percentage, run defensive grade among linebackers with 100-plus defensive snaps in weeks 1 through 9 in the PFF era, unquote. Fantastic. That's all great. Uh, they also go on to say that he leads PFF era rookie linebackers by being the first defender 
to contact the ball carrier, that rate is at 15%. All that said, uh, we've often talked about PFF coverage grades and the way they assign their yards and whatnot and not necessarily trusting that all too much, especially with zone coverages and, and whatnot. LVE has been solid against play action when he's picking up over routes and running with them because he's an athletic guy. But like you said, in zone coverage, if he if, if he's zoned in on a quarterback, he can be easily manipulated. And RJ Ochoa of Blogging the Boys offered this up too. And I've heard it from Marcus Mosier and the PFF grading system says it too. And my eyes from watching the from the film say it as well. He had a rough day against the Titans. He had a rough day against the Redskins. He couldn't get a beat on anything. He was washed out. He still flashed some ability to get back in his zone, like I, like I said, in those play-action situations. But otherwise, he struggled mightily in coverage and against the run. Uh, overall, though, you look at his game and with what we thought about him coming into the draft, I think a lot of the same pluses and minuses are there. And you can definitely see why we were enamored with him once you get past those two games, the Redskins and the Titans, and you really get into his better stretch of play to start the season, those first six games. And before I kick it over to you, Ben, I know he's a cowboy, but it's so fun to watch Jalen Smith reach this point in his recovery. He is playing some really good football in my mind, and I'm happy for him after that horrific injury uh, in his last game at Notre Dame before he came out into the draft. So your thoughts on this linebacker situation, maybe some thoughts on PFF's untrustworthy coverage grades and how much context they need and all that fun stuff. Right. I'm not, I'm not here to flame PFF. You know what I mean? Like I, uh, I, once, once grades start getting doled out, I usually get pretty confused. I don't really know what's happening. Um, and then it's very <laughs> like assigning blame, which I'm not necessarily doing, but a- anything that kind of assigns blame and coverage that like I don't know doesn't have like a pure base in the film is like very tough for me like oh who's the closest defender uh, you know I don't know well you know what like for instance I'll, I'll give an example the the Colts played the Redskins Darius Leonard was credited for giving up 13 receptions and a bunch of yards what does that mean you watch the film it's all checkdowns it's like five yards in front of them who cares who cares right <laughs> which like yeah like when like you know is that bad when like a defense is forcing that not necessarily you know does that grade the player poorly well if it does then you know it's tricky I will say. I was not, you said like we liked Van Der Esch coming out. I was a little bearish on Van Der Esch. He was a second round player for me. I, I would say I was I was late first round with him. And when I say we were enamored, I'm not saying versus consensus. I'm saying if I see a player as a late first rounder or as a second rounder, I like that player. And there were certain parts of his games and certain minuses of his game that I think we both agreed on uh, right. that we either liked or were concerned about. And I think that's fleshed itself out so far. Yeah. So the the, the thing that you're seeing about Van Der Esch is, is a player who grew a lot at in his time uh, with Boise State. And he was a player who, you know, and, and his story has been well documented as a seven on seven football player. And he started playing 11 on 11 very late in his life. And he's been growing at a unbelievable rate for the past like four years and he it, it's it's shocking to look at a rookie who you were like wow this dude was big when he was in college and then you see him on the nfl and you're like yeah he's still big like compared to everybody on here which isn't the way it's supposed to be for 21 year olds who just came out of college you know he's still a monster but i because he was play, he started to play uh 11 11 late you had processing concerns to me it was a little bit slow to click and he didn't like playing super physically you're seeing now when when lee is on the field they like to keep him in a in a run and chase situation if they can uh they do do a lot when they are in nickel of taking lee off the field and they'll put smith and van der Esch on together even when lee was healthy and just with smith and van der Esch, you have so much size and you have so much length 
and there's a ton of range you can cover sideline to sideline. So they're going to be strong against the run, especially, I think, when you put the ball into the boundary. That being said, I think you can trap the ever-living daylights out of them. To me, they play into the line very similarly to how the Carolina Panthers defense played into the line. In terms of they might not be lined up as close to line of scrimmage, but they will come very aggressively down into sunlight. Uh, and yeah. those are the sort of, whenever, the uh, as we talked about on the Panthers podcast, the further you can get those linebackers down down into the line of scrimmage, the easier it is to trap them. That generates better trap angles. We usually talk about running plays in terms of depth, first level, and then you want your players to climb to the second level. The idea behind a trap play is you kind of sucker in a defensive tackle and you sucker in a linebacker down towards the ball and then you hit them from the side. So you're not really, it's not really like a vertical game anymore, right? You're, you're, you're kind of like a, a tight end just coming and knocking them off from the side. A guard is pulling, just knocking them in the side just to create a running lane, right? And so because of that, you can really pull these aggressive, bigger linebackers in, just pin them to the side with Zach Ertz, a little running back scoots right by, and now all of a sudden he's broken into space because nobody's in that second level anymore. So that's like that, that's what makes the trap game unique. Philadelphia loves it. This is another defense I think would go well against that. Also, you have a, a, a typically even front defense with four defenders, and they're all in gaps. They're one-gapping defense. Much easier to trap uh, versus like a defense... Um, no, Jacksonville, they could trap Carolina, they could trap. Uh, when the Philadelphia plays the Redskins, the Redskins will be a little bit more difficult to trap sometimes because right. the Redskins will put their players in two gapping, you know, hat on a hat situations, yeah. and that's a little bit trickier. Uh, I will say uh, the screen game, like you said, uh, oh, we wish Darren Sproles was active. Fortunately, Danelle Pumphrey will be active and he will be in the <laughs> screen game, so you don't have to worry about that at all. Oh, boy. So let's transition. Had to be from- done. <laughs> let's transition from that. And Ben, you look at this Dallas Cowboys pass rush, and of course you have to talk about Demarcus Lawrence, 32 pressures on the season, six and a half sacks this year, capitalizing on a 14 and a half sack 2017 campaign and keeping that momentum going. He belongs in the top tier, in my opinion, when you talk about edge guys. He's been fantastic this year. You got him going up against a banged up Lane Johnson, who despite all of his injuries, is playing lights out after some early struggles that may or may not have been overblown. So the Eagles know Lawrence is going to be a game wrecker. They know they might need to help Lane a little bit, so I'll be interested to track the tight end alignments, running back chips, or running back releases and tight end releases to that limit Lawrence's options when picking his track to the quarterback, what they make available for him, what they make unavailable. And if you can slow Lawrence down, where else is the pass rush coming from? Tyrone Crawford is the only other guy on that line putting up, you know, solid numbers, I I would guess. And they're beat up along that line. And like we touched on, you know, with the injury report yesterday uh, with Taco Charlton and David Irving missing practices on on Thursday. I mean, Ben, who else would you worry about? Uh, Malik Collins on the inside, potentially against like uh, Isaac Siamalo. Did I say that correctly? Siamalo? Siamalo. Sayomalo? Sayomalo. See you, Sayo. Sayomalo. Like Junior Sayow. Sayomalo. Got it. Nice. I like that. That was a nice little parallel there. Yeah. <laughs> I think Collins is playing well. I think he's pass rushing better uh, than we've typically seen from him. I think he's, being, he's uh, more compact and quicker in his motions, in my opinion. He used to be kind of all over the place. That's generating more interior rush, which is good. As we know from the Schwartz discussions, you need to have interior and outside rush. You need to be able to maintain the integrity of those rush lanes. Uh, I don't think Taco Charlton is panning out, which, like, sucks from a draft perspective, but he is a cowboy, so, you know, it's not as bad. This team blitzes a fair bit. Yeah. 
I will say Chris Richard. It might be Richard, but I'm gonna call him Richard. I think it's Richard. I think you're right. Yeah, I've always said his name wrong. We did this. We did a San Francisco podcast last uh, with Locked On Eagles in 2017. I said his name wrong the entire time when he was uh, when he was with them. Anyway, uh, he blitzes a fair bit more than you'd expect from a guy of his, you know, like Dan Quinn, Seattle background, where you always rush for, uh, which is something we're seeing from Jim Schwartz as well. But the thing, and the simple thing is when they blitz, they play man coverage. And Byron Jones, their outside corner is really good at that. And everybody else isn't. So if you win the pre-snap game as a quarterback in terms of if you're able to identify a blitz, you know your hot route. Okay, the blitz is coming from that side, so I have to feed this. And you can uh, execute accordingly. You have the opportunity for a ton of yak because pure man coverage if you get separation, you hit a guy in stride, there isn't somebody in the next zone waiting to hit him. He's got green space. And then the other thing is when you have a quarterback as mobile as Carson Wentz, you get pure man coverage against a blitz, just pure cover one, and he's able to break. Uh, yeah. Nobody's looking at him. Everybody's got their eyes on their receivers and they're dealing with downfield responsibilities. And I think that's something you saw Blake Bortles have a lot of success with against Philadelphia, but also against Dallas when they played in terms of when he was able to get out of the pocket. Dallas was didn't, Dallas is not really sitting in zones to handle him. When Dallas plays zone, it's cover three, and Eagles can beat cover three because it's the only thing they ever see in practice anyway, so probably they'll be fine. I don't anticipate the pass rush for the Cowboys being nearly the issue the Eagles' pass rush will likely be. The only problem I could see if it lane is either hampered or if he can't go and it's Big V, Lawrence is going to give you problems all game long. But you've helped Big V before. You should be able to help him again. If Lane is struggling, if he's hurt, you should be able to help him with alignment, uh, and that'll kind of take the edge off. So looking at these these matchups, the, the Cowboys are a team not unlike the Eagles that don't shadow. So they won't move Byron Jones around with wide receiver one, which in our case, obviously is the man Alshon Jeffrey who's had a big impact on this offense this year. So then you look at, you know, Chidobia Wuzier, uh, Zach Ertz against Jeff Heath is something that you alluded to and is something that I desperately want to happen, either Ertz or or Goddard. I mean, someone's getting on those safeties with those tight ends, and I think both those safeties with Xavier Woods are plus matchups in the tight ends. I, what are you seeing from a matchup perspective? Yeah, did you see that, uh, that little... Um... Little information on uh, on Dallas Goddard when Carson Wentz targets him. Do you see what their stats are? Ooh, hit me with it. Wentz to Goddard lifetime. Uh, this is Shield Kapai of the Athletic found this. Carson is seventeen out of eighteen, ninety four percentage complete for one hundred eighty four yards, which is over ten yards ten yards an attempt. Wow. You know, you know what that one was? Was was the one that that got knocked out? Was it against Atlanta? Was it that the interception? That's the I first game of the season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But since then, since that target, yeah, those are right. I'm just saying, there's literally no way for me to remember anything that happened in the first game of the season. That's an unrealistic <laughs> expectation. <laughs> I can't remember. I feel like what Goddard's also got two, maybe three touchdowns now. I think it's two. Yeah, because Zacherts has three, and right. Goddard had the one. On Goddard had the, the deep st- one against Jacksonville. The he 32 had- yard leak, and then the cu- and then the copper. The uh the double china copper. Okay, but then he also he also had a short one against somebody. He also had one where he was in the red zone. Remember they targeted him and it wasn't caught, and then they came back to him on third down a little leak route, like a little play action. Yeah, why are we yelling at each other when we can just look up this? It's three tight ends. <laughs> it's, it's three touchdowns. So I was right and you were wrong. That's why we're yeah. yelling at each other because but I you can I, remember I said, when the interception happened in week one. Right. So we both got W's no, here. 
as I said, I remember everything that's happened since week one all the time. <laughs> this, is my, this is my overall point. All right. Listen, listen, if you're if you're looking for somebody to stand on the soapbox of, of God are getting more targets, I've been on that soapbox since the preseason. All right. Like we okay. we've discussed this ad nauseum at this point. My great fear is that the addition of Golden Tate means Philadelphia is going to become an 11 personnel offense. Right. When they yep. currently right now lead the league in 12 personnel, which is – it makes me literally so happy to see because to me that's that's what they should be. They should be a 12 personnel team. And we've talked about the rushing success out of it and it simply just give Goddard more snaps and, yeah. and, and, and more targets are going to come. I think he's just done enough to earn more snaps. Whatever. Yes, Ertz against Heath. Yes, uh, Dallas Goddard against Anthony Brown or Lane Van Esch, whoever he ends or up getting to that Xavier side of the Woods field. Or whoever, yeah. Right, exactly. I think that, yeah, your tight end's going to be in a great situation. I will also say something I'm very interested in watching, Mike. Dallas Cowboys currently fourth in the league, worst, that is, uh, in a given up third down com- uh, conversion percentage at 44%. Yep. Uh, Philadelphia, not what they used to be, 13% uh, in terms of what they are in the league. You mean 13th ranked? 13th ranked, excuse me, 13th ranked. Yeah, they're Thank trending you. up. Yeah, they have been better their last uh, their last three games of 47%. They've been performing better, and they always convert better at home than they do on the road as well. So that's good to note. I think the other big one, too, that I noticed from the stats before you continue, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, sixth ranked in the red zone, only allowing touchdowns on 46% of those trips. The Eagles are ranked 18th at 55%, so they've regressed in that regard. However, I really do think they're starting to find their rhythm in that area as this season continues to evolve. It's completely anecdotal, but I would say with two weeks of film prep at home, Philadelphia shouldn't be like it's going to be good in the oh. red zone. Oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, sure. like with it just seems to me like ext- they- I would be extremely disappointed if if they weren't. Like, I can understand a bit of a slow start to start the game, kind of like how Week Eleven was last year when the score was nine to seven Cowboys at the half. But I do not expect. A game Allegedly unprepared in the red zone whatsoever. They should be able to convert on these opportunities and take advantage of this defense in uh, multiple ways. Uh, ben, let's see here. What, what else do we want to cover? Do we want to cover special teams? Who's your punt returner? Because I, I put my hat in the ring on that one. <laughs> so we just had an experience. Uh, ben got so excited to deliver his special teams take. He slammed his desk and simultaneously shut down his computer. A frantic moment there where we thought we may have lost Ben's recording and we're going to have to do all of this all over again. Go look at your podcast app right now and see how many minutes into the show you're in and then think about recording (laughs) all those minutes and then think about not having all those minutes after you recorded all those minutes. So I have a take and now I'm going to clap. This is the new take sound. Cameron Johnson is a top five punter in the league. He can't return punts though. <laughs> no, I, no, you, I, Cameron right, Johnson is awesome, like, so, dude. Listen, everybody's all, all gung ho about who the punt returner is going to be. Meanwhile, this dude is going to touch the ball an average of four times a game and going to pick up a total of 36 yards. You know what I mean? It's like, it is just the punt returner. Like, obviously, I feel bad about special teams because we never give them any attention. And, and having a good punt returner can be impactful in terms of field positioning and potential scores, but it's really okay if he's not, like, awesome. It's fine. But thank you for the clicks, gentle readers. <laughs> yeah and also like you know if we're gonna just like if we're gonna be telling secrets deandre carter wasn't that great of a punt returner he was just like an average punt returner but whatever he had one 42 yarder that was clutch against the titans he also had the muff against the giants that would have been recovered by the giants if the gunner just hadn't given up on the play 
So, I mean, yeah, he wasn't giving us anything dynamic, and I pound the table hard for DeAndre Carter, and it sucks that we let him go, but really not that big of a deal, guys. We can fill that role really, really easily. Ben, go ahead. Right. But my punting take, Cameron Johnson, the Philadelphia Eagles in general, are averaging 46.6 net yards per punt, which is the best figure in the league. Mike, the second best figure in the league is 44.5, with the Seattle Seahawks. So it's a two-yard difference from one to two. Now, how much does that difference matter? If you go from number two in the league, Seattle, all the way down to number 10 in the league, Tennessee, it's another two-point gap. So Philly at number one is as far from number two as two is from 10. It's a huge gap. Uh, and so Philadelphia is is picking up significantly more yardage on an average punt than your usual NFL team. Some of this has to do with the fact that Johnson's never really going to get asked to put the ball inside the 20. Philadelphia is tied for 21st in the league with only 11 punts inside the 20 because Peterson goes for it on fourth down frequently. But this is why knowing your personnel and knowing what your team needs is so important. It's what good teams do. Philadelphia under Doug Peterson does not need a punter who has great directional punting and can drop the ball inside the 20. Because they just don't go for it. They don't kick when they're at midfield. They go for right. it. Right? So you don't need that guy. What they need is a guy with a boot. And Johnson can boot it. And so at this point, for what Philadelphia asks him to do, he's been the most, one of the most successful punters so far in the league. And we don't talk about that very much because nobody likes punting. But shout out to Cameron Johnson, who a lot of people thought was going to be a liability. And it turns out he's been an absolute strength on special teams for Philadelphia. Love it. Third phase of the game. Very important. Hopefully Jake Elliott can uh, be consistent in this game. When when called the pod last time, we had to go with Camus Grugier Hill in the last meaningful game with the Cowboys and the Eagles. So, okay, third phase of the game, that's taken care of. Ben, any other overarching themes or, or points you wanted to make about this game from an Eagles offensive uh, perspective that we may not have covered yet? I'm just saying, <laughs> he has experience returning punts. <laughs> he obviously can catch out of the backfield. Okay, okay. Corey Clement had an illness during Thursday practice. So maybe he's not at 100%. Which I think needs to be investigated. Feels to me like the Donnell Pumphrey breakout game. It just feels to me. Dude, if that happens, I can't even imagine the soapbox that you're going to be on. It's going to be intolerable. (sighs) Intolerable. So, and if he scores a touchdown, what's what's the bet, right? If he scores a touchdown, I have to buy his jersey, which I'm surprised you don't own. And yet. if he scores in any phase of the game, rushing, receiving, or returning, gotcha. Boom. So there it is. Let's get into prediction times. Last time we talked about the Cowboys over under from their offense at 18 points because the the spread puts it at around what was it 24 18. 25-18. As of right now, Philadelphia is a seven-point favorite, which is up from a six-point favorite, which is where they opened. And most lines have the over-under set at 43. So yeah, it's going to be about a 25-18 to 18 game. So exactly what I said. That's correct. Ben, <laughs> do the Eagles cover? And uh, what's your score prediction? I had to think it out, okay? <laughs> do Philadelphia Eagles cover seven points? It, I'll put it to you this way. I think they're a better team at home, seven points, than the Cowboys. Do I trust Philadelphia? You know, like, uh, not, it's tough to. Obviously, I, I cashed in on them covering against the Jaguars. Hope you took my bet. Oh, man, I don't know. This Dallas team is bad, and they're reeling. I don't think they can do anything offensively against mm-hmm. this Eagles defense. I'll put it to you this way. If I were to bet anything on this game, it would be the over. Uh, over 43. 
I I don't anticipate this Dallas defense being able to hold Philadelphia below that big 24-point number that we talk about all the time. So that would put Philadelphia over the point total. I do think Dallas can score on Philadelphia, especially Philadelphia is going to be dealing with some injuries in the secondary, which is already depleted to begin with. And Philadelphia just loves to give up points in the second half when they don't need to. Uh, So I would take the over. I will say I think Philadelphia wins this. To me, this is like a, a game that ends... 30 to 21 or 31 to 24 you know like i'm not i I don't want to touch the line but i will say this is going to go over my opinion my my prediction was going to be 30 to 20 so i'm I'm thinking along the same lines as you i think it's a little bit tight in the first half the eagles start to pull away and then some garbage points happen and uh, i go with 20 because the cowboys are going to kick two meaningless field goals because they're cowards yeah i mean uh, listen like Carolina punted three times from like inside of the 50 teams just just don't like everyone's afraid of everything and it's disgusting the sun okay so there are our predictions we we covered this game front and back gave you a ton of a ton of content this week check the feed man there's a bunch of six podcasts in in three days Ben one thing that I want to talk about with you along with you slamming your desk you also this week let's let's, let's talk about this you fell down a public flight of stairs. Can we uh, can we break Mike, this Mike, down? Mike was laughing earlier in the episode, and I didn't know why, and it's clearly because he found this tweet. <laughs> I was leaving class in Cobb, which is the like the language and cultural psych building in at the University of Chicago, and I was on my phone, and I was walking down the stairs, and I was about like a third of a way down like a smaller like it's like one of those big like staircases that you see in in school buildings and my foot caught the edge and i wiped out and i like took out a girl at the bottom of the stairs (laughs) and every it's like it's wet outside so there's like mud on the floor from people's shoes so like i got dirty and she got dirty and i felt really bad and it was between classes there were a bunch of people and like it made a lot of noise and so everybody just kind of stopped talking and looked and i was like hi i'm ben like it's good to meet you guys um (laughs) how many how many how many steps would you say it was that you fell like at least six oh wow so you came down with the thunder on this (laughs) i like tripped started falling forward grabbed the banister but i have too much momentum that was going yeah so i by grabbing it i like like my only point of contact was like barely on one step and then grabbing this banister like my body twisted and i like flat out like rolled down these stairs right like i was not like people like did you break your falls like i didn't even know where i was man like i couldn't even told you which way it was north like it was just it was all chaos that it was a a strong moment and what was great is i was leaving this class and i was thinking to myself like i had like i just turned into midterm and i have a bunch of classes on thursday and i you know i had this podcast and i had like posts due and i was like oh like I'm, i'm like a lot of work today, but I was like, I'm really proud of like the work that I did today. I was like, this was a good day uh, to be an adult. Like, I really feel like I, I I did a good, organized, responsible job today. And then I fell down a flight of stairs, and that was God's way of saying like, hey, guess what? You're still a child. Like, you can't do anything, uh, which is a good reminder. So yeah, I'm never going to class again, and I am changing my face and my name. I, I find it funny, Ben. You you have. And I don't say this condescendingly or, or jokingly in any way. You have such a bright future. You're such a smart dude. And then you get these constant reminders like Pompey the Great having 
uh, one of his servants whisper in his ear, you are mortal over and over again. And these situations just pop up for you all the time. And uh, it's a humbling experience, I would imagine. <laughs> I am. I am. It's good to be reminded that that we're all just kind of like, of like uh, we're all just just at, at the behest of the universe. We're all just little little marionettes that can be moved around. Like it's just, I, li- I literally was like walking, thinking to myself, like, "Wow, you are a big deal." And then I tripped and fell down a flight of stairs. And I was like, "This is very indicative. This is good. I feel great." Here I am and talking so, yeah. with with Mike Garofalo and looking yep. at a blacked out window, saying how dark. Oh it is my gosh, outside. that's right. We we've been we've been back to back on Bad Ben story episodes. <laughs> But here, what was nice, I was thinking, I was like, I might, uh, you know, like, I don't feel like cooking for myself. I might just, like, you know, go pick up, like, a sandwich, one of my favorite spots, and, like, I'll just, like, you know, I'll buy dinner tonight. And I was like, oh, no, I should really cook, whatever. And then I fell on a flight of stairs. I was like, well, I'm buying dinner now because it got to make this day better. So I had a good sandwich. So everything comes out in the wash. Ben, I think that does it for this week. This Friday is officially my Friday once I get this edited up. Got a new piece up on BleedingGreenNation.com about Dak Prescott and how he's his own worst enemy. Dallas Cowboys Twitter is all over it. Already got uh, Jeff Cavanaugh from uh, 105.3 The Fan in on it, cursing me for for being correct about Dak Prescott. So that's fun. Love Cavanaugh from Trusted Tape. Him and Dane Brugler do a great job over there. So always good to have his input. Uh, but yeah, I I am I am done with this week, man. It is It has been... A lot of work. We put out a lot of content. I'm proud of what we accomplished here. I don't have any stairs around me right now, so I think I'm good to say that. And uh, Ben, say goodbye to the gentle Wait, listeners. wait, wait. You want another story? Oh, I just remembered because you mentioned it. No, you mentioned that reminded me of, uh, of another story. Also, what happened to me yesterday. Uh, so I was supposed to have like, so my, my girlfriend lives in Michigan and we're dating for a very long time. And so we have our little like you know, like dates where we like watch something like on, on Netflix, like together. And she's like, wait for us to make time. So we're very busy. And I had one of those scheduled last night, but I missed it. And the reason was because I got a call from my folks at about 9 p.m. Central. Uh, and they were like, and I was like, hey, like, mom, what's going on? She goes, your credentials came here. I said, what? Hmm. And she said, well, your credentials are here at the house. I said, that, that doesn't make any sense. I'm at Iowa Northwestern this weekend for the draft network. And I needed to get a parking pass. And I didn't originally apply for a parking pass, but I needed to get one. So I'm driving out there now. And so I, I asked Iowa to just send me out a parking pass. And they, they were like, yeah, we'll send it to you. And, and I used my UPS accounts so that they could send it over. But somehow UPS sent it to my home address, which is in Pennsylvania, right? It's not in Chicago. So I need these credentials by Saturday. Uh, and on Thursday night, they have been shipped Express Air, which I'm paying for, by the way, to Pennsylvania. And I said, well, that's okay. There's no parking pass, whatever. I'll just park in a parking garage. It's fine. And my mom was like, no, the credentials are here. I was like, what are you talking about? Usually they leave your credentials at will call. But because Iowa was already sending me a parking pass, they included my press credentials in the envelope, right? And so, which like, yeah, you can have people mail you credentials, but usually I just tell them to leave them at will call. I don't mind going to will call. It's very easy. So now my credentials are in Stroudsburg. So I spent an hour and a half on the phone yesterday, firstly arguing with UPS because I don't know how they sent it to Pennsylvania where I live (laughs) or where my family is. But then also I needed to buy like literally the most intense, like next day express air early fast you know, turbo on some sort of jet plane version yeah. to send these freaking credentials here to me just because I decided to drive <laughs> and park instead of just take a bus like I was planning on doing. Like I was like, I'll just drive, like just like make my life easier. 
Nope! Didn't make my life easier. I have now shipped credentials from the University of Iowa all the way to eastern Pennsylvania, back to Chicago, on express air two days of the past week, so I can just go to this friggin' Iowa Northwestern game. I need a I need a video breakdown of this with you in a little plane dragging it across America. Right, yeah, like a little like, like plane on a stick like yeah. on a map. Okay, this is all my stories. This is everything bad that's ever happened in my entire life. Finish this the week out strong, Ben, to say yes. goodbye to the gentle listeners. Thank you for listening. <laughs> because you feel bad for me, you're going to rate and you're going to review. Five stars <laughs> only is all we accept. And you're going to tell me in the reviews why we are such nice and good analysts. Uh, you're going to watch the Eagles play the Cowboys on Sunday night. You're going to make fun of Chris Collinsworth with me. Mike, we get RPO Collinsworth. Oh, Thrilling. Boy. Amazing. Mike I'm loves so Chris Collinsworth. I love Collinsworth. There's nothing more than I love is having an analyst that has played the game and often talks about him playing in the Super Bowl, but never talks about him losing a fumble in the Super Bowl, misidentifying play action with RPO, and Al Michaels trying to preclude him by calling things RPOs before the snap even happens. Nothing more than I enjoy than a hearing RPO, a.k.a. run-pass option, 157 times throughout the broadcast. I am thrilled. I wish they had a Spanish channel we could listen to this on because that's what I do with Monday Night Football. It's much better than listening to Jason Witten. Unfortunately, that's not an option for this one. But here we are for Dallas Week in a must-win game listening to Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels. Ben, please continue. Roto World headline, kissed, learning second language by listening to Spanish Monday Night Football podcast. Yes, so watch the game. Uh, enjoy it. Hang out on Twitter with us. Chat about it. You will get our post-game recap. Uh, probably go up as close to following the game as we can get it. Uh, obviously, it'll be a, a night game then. And then it is the week, uh, as per usual, just with regular review and preview shows. As we approach a big one against the Saints, like Mike said, big playoff game implications here. So, uh, back and black, we got to make it a good one. If you're in Philly, make sure you come out. I've been Ben Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. He's Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. We will catch you guys after the game. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman. Homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.